Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and first and foremost, joining me on the left of my screen is everybody's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So, Kieran, great to welcome you back onto the podcast. Hope you've had a good bank holiday weekend. I mean, I've just got to ask, mate, how's, how's your day been so far? It's been quite the day of cricket, hasn't it? It has, yeah. I'm somewhat disappointed that Basball has already been foiled with um, six draws in, in seven games. I really hope that Word hasn't yet gotten to Ben Stokes over in India because I, I can't think he'll be too happy because I don't think a draw is a thing in his vocabulary. But yeah, uh, really entertaining round of fixtures and yeah, uh, ready to talk about it. Well, that is excellent here, Masons. Yeah, it has been a fantastic round of county championship cricket. Cannot wait to get into this one tonight and joining us actually the first time that we've been a trio in the county cricket podcast history it's fantastic to finally have the whole gang together folks it's my absolute pleasure to welcome back on to the podcast the third musketeer on to tccp tonight mr matt wiley matt you're back for yet another show always a pleasure to have you here on the platform i mean i've got to ask you the exact same thing mate how's your day and and how's your bank holiday weekends been so far very, very good, thank you. Yeah, we've uh, been celebrating. I handed my dissertation in on Thursday, so um, yeah, quite, quite a, uh, quite a moment, and yeah, we've been enjoying ourselves in honour of that fact. Um, so yeah, no, it's been, it's been a good weekend, and uh, like Kieran said, a good day of cricket to uh, to get our teeth into. Well, we certainly have, lads, and honestly, this is going to be a great show. I just know it is, and, and Matt, also congratulations, by the way, for your dissertation. I am, of course, going to say that. Fantastic to hear that, mate. I know you've been working really hard on that. So, yeah, what better place to to celebrate, really, than with a chat about all things county crickets on the yeah, County man. Cricket Podcast? <laughs> exactly. No better place whatsoever. But, lads, I say that we just get straight into the action. Seven games, six of them were draws. But we'll start first and foremost with the one results, which didn't end in hands being shaken in a draw. Let's head to the South Coast and let's go to Southampton where my county of Warwickshire beat Hampshire by an innings and 84 runs at the Aegeus Bowl. Now, Hampshire won the toss and opted to have a bat first in this contest, a decision which actually appeared to have backfired somewhat in the early exchanges of this game. The home side were bowled out for 229 runs on what seemed to be a pretty decent surface in Southampton. Aside from James Vince's 75 and outs and Fletcher Middleton's 49, the home side just struggled to generate any momentum whatsoever as Warwickshire's lethal, clinical and ruthless seam attack spearheaded by the likes of Chris Rushworth, he took 3 for 38, and Chris Wokes, the wizard, taking 3 for 45, ultimately dismissing the home side for that rather underwhelming total of 229 runs within just 65.4 overs. Now, Kieran, I want to start with you first and foremost, mate, for today's show, because we have to talk about Hampshire's batting. And obviously, this will be another topic of conversation when we discuss this game a little bit further in due course. But in terms of that first innings, what did you make of Hampshire's batting? Because from what I could see in comparison to a GS Bowl surfaces of old, it looked like a decent pitch, didn't it? Um, I've not actually seen any of it, but you, you'd assume the first, uh, you know, a few, a few of the top order getting runs, uh, you would have thought, somebody might potentially kick on. Um, I know Fletcher Middleton's done quite well towards the start of the season, but uh, a lot of the time they are quite 
James Vince reliant and the same again this week in both innings actually that it, it was very much if James Vince hadn't have gotten any runs then they'd have been searching around for, for somebody to, to hit some runs. Well, it would have been Kieran, and, and to be honest, aside from James Vince, and in fairness, Fletcher Middleton and Nick Gubbins actually batted very, very well in that morning session. But aside from that, the Bears' bowling attack was just too ruthless in that particular innings. I thought they bowled magnificently yet again, and we shall discuss a certain Warwickshire bowler in a lot more detail in just a few minutes' time. But after that somewhat underwhelming batting display from the home side, Warwickshire came out to bat with real intents, and actually in the evening session on that first day, Warwickshire were 82 for none by the close of play, with Rob Yates and Alex Davis looking very accomplished at the crease, to say the least. Now, aside from that impressive opening stand between those two, Sam Hain, hashtag Sam Hain for England, the momentum is growing. Game by game, season by season, this man is proving to be the best uncapped cricketer on planet Earth. And in this game, yet again, absolutely sensational. 85 from 176 balls, included 10 boundaries. And as if that knock wasn't impressive enough from Sam Hayne, this was just beautifully, beautifully partnered by an exceptional 95 from Ed Barnard. I was gutted that he missed out on his tongue by just five runs, but 95 from 147 balls. And then Michael Burgess producing a quick fire, 88 from 119 balls to take the Bears up to a commanding total of 410 for 8 declared by the end of their first innings. Now, Matt, we've got to talk about Warwickshire's batting because obviously when we talk about this Bears team, the focal points in the preview show and in these early rounds has been the strength of that seam attack. But as of this recording, Warwickshire have actually got the most batting bonus points in Division 1. They've got 11. They've got more than Surrey, actually, as of this round. So, in terms of the Bears batting in this game from the likes of Sam Hayne, from the likes of Alex Davis, from the likes of Ed Barnard and Michael Burgess, what did you make of this batting display from the visitors on the South Coast this week? Yeah, really impressive. And like you said, it was a decent pitch. So they almost did what Hampshire didn't, didn't they? They did take advantage where Hampshire couldn't. And I mean, ultimately, it's what won them the game. So the fact that everybody's contributed, we've talked about the strength of the team attack being that everybody's got a different role and everybody knows what that role is and they all complement each other so well. But that's what the batting is, that's what the batting's done this week. Um, you know, you've got people like Berger who can give it a fair old whack. You've got people like Rob Yates who open up and tend to be a little bit more circumspect, while people like Alex Davis are a bit more aggressive at the other end. And it's just they fit together so well. And to be honest, I think in any sport when everybody knows their roles and it's that clear in, in any in anything, it's bode really, really well for the team. It really does, Matt. And to be honest, for, for Warwickshire fans out there, this is really refreshing because last year we did struggle at times with batting hands and it has been plaguing this club for a number of years in first-class cricket, but the initial signs are looking very, very promising indeed. Now, as a result of that excellent batting display from the Bear and Ragged staff, Hampshire has a bit of a mountain to climb on day four. Realistically, by this point, given the deficits, a win was off the table. There just simply wasn't enough time to force a result in this game, but potentially they could have salvaged a draw. Until the final hour of the morning session, where Christopher Rushworth, Warwickshire's new signing, a man who came to the club with 600 career first-class wickets for Durham County Cricket Club, produced what can only be described as a masterclass in the arts of swing bowling. He dismissed 
a staggering seven, seven Hampshire batters for 38 to spark a collapse which ultimately saw the hosts being bowled out for a paltry total of 97 runs within 34.5 overs. Now, Kieran, again, I'll go to you, mate, for this, because Rushy is a county cricket legend. He's known up and down the circuits for these incredible performances, and this really is up there as one of his finest individual displays in the county championship. This was an exhibition in outswingers and inswingers. He had those Hampshire batters looking at sea on the South Coast this week. So in terms of the signing of Chris Rushworth, Kieran, what were your initial impressions? Because a lot of people were, I'd say, a little bit apprehensive, actually, about Rushy being in a bear shirt, given his age, given the fact that last year he didn't bowl as well as he did in previous seasons. But if you look at his output so far this season, 22 wickets, averaging 15.27. He's been quite the revelation for the Bears, hasn't he? Yeah, you can see why people might have been some, somewhat apprehensive with the fact that it, it's sort of going up a level and having not done a whole lot last season. But he sort of brings another element to the, the seam attack in that obviously you've got Chris Wokes, who, who's quite sharp. Um, obviously, you know, he's a test cricketer, so he's not going to be slow. Hassan Ali's also similar, whereas Rushworth's you sort of like stick it on a spot, make people get themselves out, move the ball around. And that's difficult in itself for, for uh, a batting, a batting line-up to face when you've got people like Wokes and, and Ali bowling from the other end to then go from, it, it might not be doing a lot, but it, it's coming down quite sharp to, it's doing quite a lot. So there's there's like, if you get out of one, like if you, if you get away from get, getting out, there's a lot more from, from the other end that it's just as tough, no matter who who's bowling and like seven for whatever it was. I can't remember the exact figures, but taking a seven for at all just like shows the skill set that he's got. And it's certainly a very, very good skill set, to say the least. And Kieran, I think you make a great point there, actually, about this Warwickshire bowling attack. It's variety. It's variety. It's something which the Bears lacked last season in the absence of Liam Norwell. And the fact that Hassan Ali didn't play this game, the fact that Liam Norwell is unfortunately injured at the moment with, I think it's a back injury, if I'm not mistaken. And yet the Bears have won two matches by an inning, so comfortable victories really does bode well for this team heading into the rest of the summer. So all I'm going to say is is well done to those Warwickshire players. I was absolutely astonished by the way in which they dismantled this Hampshire team because, as I said, this has been an unhappy hunting ground for the Bears in the past. 13 years it's been since the Bears last won in Southampton. It was 2010, the last time prior to this game, that Warwickshire had actually won in the championship at the Aegeus Bowl. So that in itself is a massive, massive victory. But... In terms of the overall performance, from 1 to 11 to a man, I thought every single one of those Warwickshire players was outstanding this week. So congratulations to the Baron Ragged staff of Warwickshire County Cricket Club. A fantastic way to bounce back after a very, very disappointing display against the Brown Caps of Surrey in Birmingham last week. But Matt, before we move on to our next game, which in itself was an absolute cracker of a game to say the least... We do just have to mention a little bit about Hampshire because this was an off game for them. Let's face it, they suffered from exactly what happened to Warwickshire last week. They had one bad session, completely killed the game. I think you do have to give a lot of credit to the likes of James Vince and Mohamed Abbas for showing at least a little bit of a, a riposte, a rear guard on that final day. But aside from that, a very, very disappointing performance. So 
if we look in the wider context of the county championship so far this season, Matt, what have you made of Hampshire? Because obviously we look at the same attack and they're very, very strong, but are you still worried about the, the consistency of that batting lineup per se and, and maybe the over-reliance on the likes of a James Vince and a Nick Gubbins? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think that we were expecting them to be in a stronger position now than they, than they are. I think, like you said, inconsistency, two, four games, two wins, uh, two losses, which is just an absolute middle of the road in anyone's book, isn't it? And it's not what they'll want it it's not what they want it to be. You know, they were being talked up as pre preseason title favourites. So that you know that it is still close. It is still early days. This was just an off day for them. You can put it down to that. I don't think you need to be too concerned. I don't think you need to start ripping everything up and going back to square one. But it's something that yeah, it's something that they'll want to keep an eye on. It's and obviously it could become a problem. I don't personally think it will happen, but it could become a problem if James Vin gets back into the England team. Um, I don't know if it's that hot a take to say I don't think it will happen, but I just think it's it's something that you need to be aware of. You know, you can't be too reliant on players like that who do have the international kind of new that could then just leave you because then they really will. Then it really will become a problem. Um, so yeah, I think you know. There's, there's another game next week. Let's, you, you know, file it away, put it as bad day, move on. And if it happens again, then you can start to think, OK, what do we need to change? But for now, stay the course. They're behind. They don't, they're not where they want to be, but there's still every chance they can get there. Well, I think that's a fair assessment, to be honest, Matt. I mean, obviously on paper, it is, it's a middling start to the season. I wouldn't say it's disappointing because they're still very much in the mix, but in comparison to the way in which they would have liked to have started, they would have preferred to have been top two, top three, definitely. And this is a setback, but at the same time, you know, you do have these games. Warwickshire last week had the exact same thing happen against Surrey. So all Hampshire can do is regroup, regather that focus and try and force a result against Kent in Canterbury next week. That is literally all they can do. So unfortunate for Hampshire. And I've got to say that I do give the likes of Abbas and Vince a lot of credit for at least putting up a bit of a fight. It's exactly what Ed Barnard did for the Bears last week. And look what's happened this week. So, again, showing that fight, showing that resilience, it does provide that little morale boost in what was an otherwise bitterly disappointing performance for the Rose and Crown this week. But talking of another Rose, that takes us quite brilliantly onto our next encounter in Division 1 this week which saw a fascinating draw play out between Nottinghamshire and Lancashire at Trent Bridge. Now, Matt, as our resident Nottinghamshire experts, I thought I'd pass over to you for this particular game because this was a blockbuster. It really was. Martin Scorsese and Quinton Tarantino were eating their hearts out at the sight of those final few overs. So in terms of the game itself, what did you make of this particular encounter between Nottinghamshire and Lancashire? in the East Midlands this week? I think it, we can probably sum it up by saying that it's everything that we love about the Red Bull game, isn't it? It's the way that everybody can win sessions. Everybody, both teams lost the second ball, teams won sessions, it ebbed and flowed, and it kind of, all four results were still possible at the start of day four. You know, that's that's a really, really strong, healthy Red Bull encounter where it is possible that games can be very one-sided. Um, but this one wasn't, you know, this one was really competitive, really strong, a lot of quality on display. 
And yeah, it was, I think it was kind of, I suppose you could say in the sense of basball where you want you want a result, it was disappointing. But at the same time, it almost felt like a draw was the fair result because both, both teams showed such quality that neither of them almost deserved to lose it. I think Nottinghamshire will obviously be the happier with the draw, but at the same time, they would be incredibly disappointed if they'd lost it. So I think, yeah, it was just a really, really strong competitive advert for the championship. And it was kind of fitting that it was between two of, you know, the higher profile teams in the country and two of the higher profile bowlers in the country as well. Well, yeah, let's be honest, Matt. It was a fantastic game, wasn't it? I think you've you've summarised that quite exceptionally, actually. It was a fantastic advert, not just for the county championship, but for the first class format. It just had everything. It had everything. And in terms of the, the standout performers from this game, Kieran, I wanted to discuss one of these in particular detail with yourself, mates. A man by the name of, of Josh Bohannon, right from Lancashire, 68 from 72 in the first innings, which included nine fours. And then in the second innings, followed it up with an excellent 92 from 132 deliveries. Now, as of the fifth round, he is actually the leading run scorer in Division 1. He scored 440 runs at 62.85. So what do you make of Josh Bohannon as a cricketer, first and foremost, but especially in the absence of Keaton Jennings, who's struggling with that hamstring injury, how important is someone like Josh Bohannon to Lancashire's potential title chances in this year's county championship? Uh, yeah, like he's, he's really important. He did similar last year as well didn't he I don't know exactly how many runs he, he scored and where he was in the run shots but I know he was certainly up there um, and, and he was obviously behind Keaton Jennings I think he was probably one of the highest scoring Lancashire batters last season um, and obviously he's continued this season uh, having had recognition from from England Lions um, of late and putting in performances like this uh, falling short of 100 I don't think a lot of uh, professional cricketers really care that much because he's had a lot of hundreds already. Um, and yeah, for for Lancashire's potential title hopes, um, especially if Jennings is going to be out for a little while, I don't know if if he is or not, but to take some of the the reliance off, off somebody else and, and for somebody to step up, having your number three batter come in and, and hit runs and... and making knocks like that every week's certainly a help, isn't it? It certainly is. It really is, Kieran. And to be honest, someone else who really stepped up to the mark almost in a similar vein this week in Jennings' absence, George Balderson. Now, I've got a lot of time for George Balderson. I think he's a fantastic prospect and he really is the definition of an all-rounder because he does everything. He can open the bat, he can be a finisher, he bowls well, he fields well. And in fairness, in this game, First and foremost, he bowled very well in the first innings, three for 67. But then he followed it up in Lancashire's second innings with 91 from 153. So I just had to give a massive shout out really to George Balderson. As I said, I think he's a fantastic prospect. Really, really solid all-rounder for this Lanks team. And I've got to be honest, I know Kieran, you said that they don't care about potentially reaching those, those three figures. The century is just another thing in the scorecard, but... I was gutted for him. I really was gutted for him, in particular how he he applied himself so adeptly in the early stages against a top-quality not-seam attack. And then the the manner in which he got out, 
purely because it was stop start with the rain delay. He got 91 in the end. He deserved three figures. But nonetheless, it was a fantastic knock. So George Balderson, take a bow. I thought he was absolutely magnificent in Nottingham this week. And talking of another magnificent player, Matt, we've got to talk about the battle, haven't we, between Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, because this was towards the latter stages of the game. But that fourth innings on day four, let's discuss it in more detail, because this really was cinema. That's all that I can describe this as. This was popcorn viewing for us as cricket fans and county cricket lovers. So what did you make of that battle between Jimmy and Stuart Broad? Because from what I was seeing, it was a really good contest, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was It was one of those where I think each, both of them know how good the other one is. And it was, it, it, it was, it was really respectful and it was really that both were well aware of what the other could do and they kind of adjusted the games accordingly, I think, didn't they? Jimmy Anderson, neither of them would ever give anything less for the counties than they do for England, but they were both at absolute full 100% intensity, weren't they, against each other? And it was kind of... It, it, it matched the match situation for Stuart Broad to do that properly stoic knock and throw it three not out this day. But I think it did also probably give him a bit of confidence because his batting internationally hasn't been great, has it, for a number of years and until we've tried to sort of reinvent him as this kind of nighthawk where he just swings at everything. But that's just, as it, you know, that that's all part of the, the basketball brand, isn't it? That's all part of, of that. But has he been able to really bat in an effective way? Probably not. So for him to do this at this level against a, a, a fellow who is international quality and is probably definitely England's best bowler ever will give him a lot of confidence going into the summer, I think. So, yeah, it was really, really good, properly high quality, and it was kind of a mini, miniature of the game itself as a whole, wasn't it, where there were two teams that were really going at each other in a really, really high quality way. Well, they did, Matt. And as I said, it was a quality game of cricket. And aside from that incredible final hour, Ollie Stone obviously being the hero in the end, defending those final... Well, it ultimately turned out to be five deliveries, didn't it? With a no ball from from Tom Hartley, which was quite hilarious. I love the reaction from all of the players to that. And even the umpire, I think, had a bit of a chuckle. But obviously, the, the plaudits and the headlines will go to the likes of Stuart Broad, to Luke Fletcher, Brett Hutton as well. What stoic knot that was. From him, he's having another fantastic season in a not shirt, but ultimately in the end, I mean, you would say not to the happier of the two to salvage this draw because that's exactly what they did. They salvaged those points. And in terms of someone else, I can't believe that I didn't mention him earlier, but Hasip Hamid as well against his former county. We all know how it ended with Lanks, and it was really sad, wasn't it, to see Hasib almost cast aside into the doldrums of county cricket. He's come back into knots. He's a reinvigorated and re-energised cricketer. And that 97 in the first innings was Hasib Hamid at his utmost best. So also thought I'd give a nice mention to a fantastic cricketer in Hasib Hamid. But Kieran, for you personally, just one final topic of, of conversation from this game before we talk about Essex versus Surrey. What have you made of Lancashire's start to the season? Because this is something which I've been asked actually by a number of people on Twitter and Instagram because I tip them as the title favourites 
in 2023. I still think they've got a chance, to be honest. It's still very early days. So they've not lost a game yet, but they've had four draws. And to, to draw this game, you're one wicket away. You're one wicket away from 16 extra points. It's a lot of points to gain in this year's county championship. So what have you made of Lanx's start to the season? And just how big of a of a draw is this really in the wider picture? Yeah, obviously people assume a lot of people assumed that they were gonna win the division. And obviously, as you say, it is still early days. There's still a good chance of that happening. I think though, title winning sides need to have that sort of killer instinct and, and be able to once you get one or two wickets away from a win and you're bowling at Luke Fletcher and Stuart Broad, surely there's some sort of way of taking a wicket. I know, obviously, they, they got Fletcher in the end and um, and it was knocking all three over. Like, don't just get your bat in the way of that, man. Uh, it wasn't a bad ball, but, like, just stick your bat down on it. Um, but, like, surely, if a side that's that's touted to, to win the title, when you get that close to a win, it, obviously, it's going to hurt, but you have to be trying more to, to win it. I know... There's not much more you can do than than have one of the best test bowlers ever bowling however many overs he did and, and not going for very very many runs. But I just think if Lancashire are, are going to win the title in games like that, you need to have that killer instinct and find a way to win. Well, that's spot on, to be honest, Kieran. And it's something which teams like Surrey and Warwickshire have displayed so far this summer. Hampshire as well in those two victories. And for Lanks, they have been unlucky with the weather. We, we can't just gloss over that. They have been very, very unfortunate with the rain in their games. But I agree, they're lacking that cutting edge, which they had last season, funnily enough, with Hassan Ali. I thought Hassan Ali actually provided that for Lanks, 25 wickets in those five matches. So, again, I, I still back the Red Rose to do well. I really do. That's not just me being stubborn because I don't want my prediction being wrong. But genuinely, I do think they have the makings of a good side. So... Let's hope that Lancashire can turn things around and maybe even get that first win on the boards in their game next week against Somerset Old Trafford and for Notts as well. I mean, it is a Pyrrhic victory. Obviously, it's not 16 points on the board. It's not a win per se, but it's a morale victory, isn't it? It's a victory in terms of showing that fight, resilience and the likes of Joe Clark, Brett Hutton, Broad, Fletcher and Stone ultimately have salvaged five points for them, which could be very, very crucial later on in the season but talking of yet another enthralling draw that we bore witness to in the fifth round this week let's turn our attention to Chelmsford and let's go to the game between Essex and Surrey which also ended in a fascinating draw now Essex won the toss and opted to have a bat first in this game which in fairness actually seems to be a very good decision the home side ultimately scoring 314 runs from their 91.2 first innings overs with the likes of Alistair Cook. He scored 51 from 78. Tom Wesley chipping in with 62 from 165. And Matt Critchley, the former Derbyshire rounder, producing a vital 60 from 104 deliveries to give Essex a solid platform to take forward in this game. Now, aside from Essex's batting, this is where my first topic of conversation comes from. And Kieran, I'd like to know your thoughts on this particular player first. But aside from that impressive batting effort from Essex, aside which a lot of people have said do lack in the batting departments, just one Surrey bowler that we have to pay particular attention to, Gus Atkinson. Career best figures, six for 68. 
in that first innings. And I thought he bowled brilliantly. He utilised those conditions quite superbly. So in terms of Gus Atkinson as a player for Surrey, obviously he's not the main attraction, is he? Like Akeem Roach or Jamie Overton. But time and time and time again, he's proven to be a very useful option for the Brown Caps, isn't he? Yeah, I, that's very much an indictment of the strength of the squad that Surrey have got, that you, they've got players that maybe don't play week in, week out, but when they are called upon, they are going to do something for you. Um, so like like Cam Steele uh, at the start of the season hit, hitting that century, the players that know that you're probably not going to play week in, week out, but if you can plead your case in the games that you do have, then obviously not only is that a positive for them personally, but it brings the level of the squad up as a whole because people want to keep the places. And if people are banging down the door, then that just makes them a much better side. And there's not much more you can do than than take a six for... Um, and missing Dan Worrell, like he's one of, if not Surrey's best seam bowlers alongside Kemar Roach. So it, it, when you need someone to call upon for somebody to like Gus Atkinson to, to come in and, and take that those wickets. It just just it just shows how strong Surrey are and, and how many players that they have like that that can come in and, and prove the worth when they get an opportunity. It is quite incredible, isn't it, actually, when you think of the strength and depth of Surrey County Cricket Club. And obviously Surrey have the connotations of buying the best players and being this tremendously rich club. But Aside from those negative depictions of this club, you do have to give them so much credit for almost the production line, the factory of of quality prospects that they seem to produce year in, year out. You know, the likes of Tom Laws, with the likes of Gus Atkinson, with the likes of Jamie Smith, who we'll talk about in due course. They do just have this knack of producing excellent cricketers. So Gus Atkinson, take a bow. I thought he was really good this week and definitely deserved an extra mention on this week's episode. But after that solid first innings display from Essex, the home side actually ended up with a first innings lead. Jamie Porter, who again has had a really good start to the season, he took figures of 4 for 51 in this particular innings, alongside the likes of Doug Bracewell and Sam Cook, dismissed Surrey for 240 runs within just 76.5 overs. Now, no batting bonus point for the Brown Caps of Surrey, so that could be interesting later on in the season, you know, with these brand new rules and regulations last year, that would have been a bonus point. This year it wasn't, and that was down to some excellent bowling from those Essex seam bowlers. But heading into Essex's second innings, again, they had this game in a really good position, and all they needed to do was just kill off this game, produce a massive score, maybe get that declaration in a little bit earlier, and they could have won this game. But unfortunately, they did crumble a bit in the second innings. Aside from Nick Brown's 47, there wasn't really an innings of, of much substance from the rest of that of that Essex batting lineup. And Matt, does that worry you a little bit with Essex? Do you think that the the concerns about their batting are justified? Or what do you make of that conversation about the, the strength of depth of this Eagles batting lineup? I think it says quite a lot about their approach. They, obviously, they got the approach to this one in the second innings quite quite wrong didn't they really I mean like you said there wasn't a particular man you know there was no one who really stood up by Nick Brown and said okay let's take this game by the scuff of the neck and let's really do something here Dan Lawrence's innings was a bit of a a bit of a confusing one really for me because 
yes, obviously, you want to try and move things on a pace and you want to, you know, really, like you said, get that declaration a little bit earlier. But 28 off 25 doesn't really help anyone, does it? If it, you know, if it had been, if, if you double it and make it 56 or 50, then maybe it starts to become a little bit a contribution. But it's it's kind of neither here nor there, is it, with, with what he did? And again, no one was able to back it up. So this one, again, for me, Essex have one of the best team attacks going, especially with the resurgence of Jamie Post. Uh, Sam Cook's been doing it for years. They, they can, obviously, it's never a good thing for a cricket team to rely solely on the bowlers, but they can do that. And to be fair, as I'm sure we'll get onto the team, the, the bowlers did nearly end up winning in the game. But yeah, I think this one, the second inning, was more a question of just getting the getting the tactics right, kind of getting the strategy and they just needed to be a little bit clearer. Maybe it's a coaching thing, maybe it's a captaincy thing, but I just think they needed to be, players needed to be a bit clearer about what their roles were here and they could have, it could have been very different because the talent is undoubtedly there. Well, it is, and, and that's the thing with Essex. I, I can't quite put my finger on, on the issue, if you get what I mean, because on, on paper, that batting lineup should be a lot more consistent, but in, in practice, it just hasn't been. But... I suppose, aside from the batting, the bowling this week was top tier. It really was. And Sam Cook got them off to a fantastic start, actually, in Surrey's innings because Dom Sibley was dismissed for a two-ball duck. And all of a sudden, Essex were all over the Brown Caps. In fact, at one point, they had them 128 for seven. But cometh the hour, cometh the man. In a pressure situation, Jamie Smith rose to the occasion brilliantly. And Kieran, we've spoken about Jamie Smith on a number of occasions on this podcast for completely different knocks to this. He's usually a lot more free-flowing, a lot more fluent. He counterattacks, doesn't he, against opposition bowlers. But this knock, 39 not outs from 126 balls, spent 158 minutes digging in, entrenching himself in the crease against some top-quality bowling from the likes of Cook, from the likes of Porter, Simon Harmer and Doug Bracewell. Again, just how impressive is Jamie Smith as a prospect because that versatility, the adaptability that he possesses at such a young age, it's a massively promising sign, isn't it? If we are looking ahead to the future and Jamie Smith potentially going on to England's radar. Yeah, as you say, like usually you're speaking about him in terms of having scored quite quickly or, you know, I always go back to that um, 100 that he hit for the Lions in However, I can't remember exactly how many balls it was, but it was it was quicker than a runner ball by quite a bit. Um, but then, yeah, knocks like this. There aren't a lot of players in the country that can score as quickly as he can, but then when needed to, drop anchor and, and occupy the crease and sort of make sure that your team's not not going to fall to pieces and that even if people are, are falling around you, um, you can occupy the crease and make sure that, that your team's not, um, not going to lose a lot of quick wickets because at least there's somebody there um and as you say that that shows the value that he has and and having those gears to his game and and being able to play in different ways is only going to help him going forwards in terms of potentially um recognition at international level like we've spoken about how quickly England do want to score but you are going to have games where uh, even if England don't want to draw games you are going to have games where you don't want everybody to get work 
at that rate and you need somebody to dig in if if there's a lot of wickets being taken at, at one end just for somebody to be there and occupy the crease so for him to already be showing that at such a young age certainly bodes well for his future it certainly does kieran and to be honest i was really impressed jamie smith is already an incredible prospect we we've mentioned that so many times here on the podcast and i do see him having a tremendously high ceiling in this wonderful game of ours but to show that versatility, that's massive for me because it's one thing to play a certain way and do that game in, game out, but to show that adaptability, to play that style according to the game situation, I think is a fantastic trait for such a young cricketer to possess. So, Jamie Smith, well done. And ultimately, well done to both of these teams. A bit like with Knots and Lanks, as, as Matt, you said earlier, this was a cracking clash of two very, very top quality sides. Obviously, Surrey will be happy to have salvaged the draw, but even for Essex, if they would have had a little bit more time because there was a bit of rain around in Chelmsford this week, you never know. They they maybe could have won. They maybe could have won. They did definitely show enough, enough heart, enough resilience, enough resolve and enough fight to potentially win this one against the defending champions in Chelmsford this week. But a cracking game nonetheless, and I'll tell you what... Both of these two sides should have some very entertaining fixtures next week. Indeed, Essex coming to Birmingham to take on Warwickshire. And then it's the London Derby, Middlesex versus Surrey. So again, looking forward to that and covering it on our sixth round review show next week. But gents, aside then from those first three games, let's head to our fourth and final game from Division 1 this week. And listeners, you can probably guess how this one ended as is the pattern in the fifth round review show. But yeah, the game between Somerset and Northampton Taunton did ultimately end up as being a rain-affected draw. Now, in this particular game, Somerset won the toss and elected to have a bowl first, a decision which ultimately appeared to have backfired somewhat in the opening passages as the likes of Ricardo Vasconcelos and Hassan Azad applied themselves very adeptly and put on a solid 65-run stand for the opening wickets. However, as soon as the latter was dismissed by Casey Aldridge for that 20 from 67 balls, Northatch just seemed to implode. And from that solid start, 65 for none, the visitors ultimately bundled out for 255 runs within just 78.2 overs, with the standout Somerset bowlers being Jack Leach taking figures of 3 for 15 and Lewis Gregory the catalyst of many a batting collapse in 2023, taking good figures of three for 66. So, Kieran, first and foremost, Somerset's bowling. What did you make of that in the first innings? Because I did see the comments on Twitter, in particular after that morning session. They did find things a little bit difficult. They did find those breakthroughs a little bit hard to come by. But the way in which they bounced back, it was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you look at the strength of the bowling attack, and you would expect, specifically against a side like North Ants that aren't one of the stronger in the division, um, you would expect them to be able to get um, regular breakthroughs. And, you know, Craig Over and Peter Siddle, um, especially, one of which having played quite a lot of test cricket, the other one having played some test cricket, you would expect them to be able to take wickets at the top. Um I don't think it's really like a concern or anything. It's just like an off day. Um, but then I think we've spoken quite a bit already this season about 
Lewis Gregory in, in both facets, that he's a really valuable player and, and he is somebody that does crop up in big moments. And the wicket of Vasconcelos, probably for them in, in the first innings anyway, was the, the biggest because of the fact that he, he'd been in for quite a while. He'd obviously got a decent start. So for Somerset, Gregory, his batting and his bowling, but obviously there, his bowling is uh, really valuable for them. It certainly is. And in terms of his start to the season in 2023, it's been rather electric. 21 wickets in those first four matches, averaging 19.6. He's currently the third leading wicket taker in Division 1 behind only Mohamed Abbas and Chris Rushworth. So Lewis Gregory, again, put some respect on his name. He's a very, very talented wicket-taker. Obviously, we know his skills with the bats can also field quite well. So, yeah, Lewis Gregory having an excellent start to the summer, to say the very least. But talking of, of maybe not-so-excellent starts, um, Somerset, again, unfortunately, did get off to a rather slow one in their first and ultimately only innings in Taunton this week. They found themselves 25 for two within the first 11 overs. But after this sedate starts, proceedings just belong to, to two men in particular. Matt, I'm going to come to you for this particular point of conversation. James Rue and Tom Kohler-Cadmore, what an outstanding partnership that was for the fifth wicket. 164 runs. Tom Kohler-Cadmore scoring a blistering 130 from 102 deliveries, which included 18 fours, three sixes. And then James Rue almost acting as the foil, 89 from 171 deliveries. I thought those two complemented each other's play styles quite exceptionally in the West Country this week. So, Matt, I've got to ask, Tom Kohler, Cadmore, James Rue, how impressed were you with those two in Taunton this week? Yeah, very impressed. It was a little bit bittersweet watching uh, Kohler, Cadmore just gently lofting deliveries into the stand because you kind of think, oh, he could have been doing that for Yorkshire still, couldn't he? Um, yeah, I was really disappointed to lose Cola Cadmore. Um, Kieran, I don't know. I'd be, it'd be interesting to know if uh, if we're in agreement on that one, mate. But uh, yeah, um, he's an incredibly talented cricketer and he's done, you know, a really, really good job. He's, it's, it's vindication of Somerset's kind of transfer business because obviously they also signed Sean Dixon and he's had a bit of a a bit of a stinker of a start to his Somerset career. So for Cola Cadmore to, you know, really step up, it's a, a very, very big tick in the box for whoever sort of authorised that signing. And and then, yeah, James Rue, I think, you know, we, we mentioned Surrey's ability to sort of keep producing good young talent. Well, Somerset are one that can do it as well, aren't they? They've got a big catchment area down in the West Country. You know, we've seen people like the Overton brothers um, recruited from outside Somerset, but they were able to come through their pathway on account of where they, where they come from. And yeah, James Rue is definitely the latest in a very long line of really, really talented youngsters. And obviously, when we were talking about Jamie Smith as well, it's very similar. He's got that ability to just apply himself so well at such a young age. I think the best, I mean, I know this, this is a cricket podcast. I'll keep it as cricket as I can. But I think the best comparison I'd want to give would be Jude Bellingham. The way, the maturity that he plays with despite being so young, is very similar. He's got the confidence and the panache of somebody 10 years older and James Rue could definitely have a very long and fruitful career in the game if he, if he so chooses. He's definitely got the talent. 
He definitely does. And again, Matt's. I'm not going to disagree with that. I think James Root, another cricketer with a very, very high ceiling. And Tom Curler-Cadmore, I think that was an outstanding knock. It really was. And I know Taunton's a small ground, but they were not small sixes. So, again, I thought those two played exceptionally well this week. And talking of another former Yorkshireman, this time someone who was born in the county, not necessarily playing for the county, but let's talk about Northampton's second innings. And Kieran, I'll go to you for this one, mate, because we've got to talk about that century from Sam Whiteman. 130 not out. He's currently captaining the side, isn't he, in Luke Proctor's absence? But that was another phenomenal innings, given the circumstances, given the fact that Northampton did suffer that bit of a collapse. They were 219 for seven after just 70 overs. What did you make of Sam Whiteman's performance this week? Because, again, we talk about grits, tenacity, resilience, fight, courage, resolve, valour, all of the above. It really was a high-quality innings from the Western Australia batsman this week, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was about time. Um, obviously, you look at your overseas and you are expecting sort of big performances. Maybe not every week, but um, from recent memory, I Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I can't remember him having had a particularly good knock so far. Um, and this was the, the right time for, for that to happen. Looking down the scorecard, there's a lot of not very many runs, a couple of starts uh, in that second innings. And then other than himself and Taylor, um, there wasn't really much. So it had to, somebody had to sort of, take the game by the scruff of the neck and make sure that Northants weren't sort of plunged into a mire. Um, and you want that to be your your overseas and, and to vindicate the decision that you've signed him. So hopefully for, for him, he will hope that, that there's more to come. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I, it's weird that he's from Yorkshire. I did see that uh, when I saw the report earlier. I was like, I had no idea about that, but uh, that's very much not relevant but I just thought it was also quite interesting so yeah well it is interesting and again that is why we love the counter cricket podcast you learn a new thing every single episode random stats which to be honest unless it's like an episode of the chase may never come up but it's new information nonetheless and I'll tell you what Sam Whiteman to give him a lot of credit has had a pretty decent start to the summer 263 runs an average of 43.83 yeah, Sam Whiteman's actually proven to be quite a shrewd piece of business from a county which has actually had a knack of this in recent years with the signings of Will Young. I think back to Blessing Mozara Barney in 2019. Look how he's progressed now into international cricket for Zimbabwe. So, again, I think for both these teams, yes, Somerset will be disappointed not to have got the victory. But given the circumstances, given the poor weather at times in Torsten, it's very, very stop-start, actually, in this game. I think, again, you just have to tip your cap to the likes of Tom Kohler-Cadmore, James Rue, Lewis Gregory, and of course the likes of Sam Whiteman and James Sales, because, yeah, it was just a great game of cricket, a fantastic encounter, shame about the rain, but a great game of cricket nonetheless. And talking then of the overall picture of Division 1, before we get into our conversation of Division 2, let's have a look at the table at the end of the fifth round. So currently at the top, of the Division 1 table are Surrey County Cricket Club on 60 points. In second place, also on 60 points, are the Bear and Ragged staff of Warwickshire. In third are Essex on 50 points. In fourth, Hampshire on 46 points. In fifth, are Middlesex on 45 points. 
In sixth and seventh place are Nottinghamshire and Lancashire, both on 37 points apiece. In eighth are Somerset County Cricket Club. In ninth are Northants on 32 points. And in tenth and currently bottom place of Division 1 are Kent County Cricket Club on 31 points. So it's heating up, isn't it, boys? It, it really is. The title race, yes, it's early days, but Surrey, they look incredibly strong. Warwickshire on their day look like a force to be reckoned with, and Essex as well. I think Essex, dark horses yet again in this year's county championship. So bring on the sixth round. I think that is going to be yet another blockbuster round of fixtures. And I'll tell you what, if it's anything like the fifth round, we should have an awful lot of things to discuss on next week's show. But aside then from our Division 1 chats, gents, let's move our, our focus to Division 2. And given the fact that there are two Yorkshiremen on the podcast today, there's no better place to start really than up in the north is there at Leeds where Yorkshire and Glamorgan played out a very entertaining draw at Clean Slate Headingley. So Kieran, as our man on the grounds at Headingley this week, first and foremost, before we talk about the game itself and the events that we saw at Headingley this week, your thoughts on Johnny Bairstow's return. How good was it to see him back in the shirts of the White Rose of Yorkshire? Yeah, it was good. And he seemed in, in high spirits. Obviously, he put out quite a, an emotive uh, social media post talking about the, the 36 weeks that, that he's had of, of pain and everything. And um, you could just see how much he was enjoying himself um, when he was keeping, obviously, Yorkshire um, choosing to bowl on the first day and taking, I think he took three catches in the first innings. Um, and there's one point that I know that the... Uh, commentators alluded to it on on the stream but I'm not sure if, if you'd have been able to see it on the stream um but it got really windy at one point and one of the advertising boards uh, blew onto the pitch um and Johnny Bairstow like ran down to third man and like rugby tackled it so it just looked like he was obviously his legs all right um but it yeah it just looked like he was having a lot of fun and obviously for Yorkshire and for England um really good to have him back it is. It's marvellous, isn't it, to see Johnny Bairstow back. And I think all three of us are in agreement that it's great to see him back. You know, a premier talent here in England and Wales, and to see him back in the Yorkshire shirts is absolutely sensational. But aside from Johnny Bairstow's return, Kieran, what did you make of the game itself? Because in terms of those those first two innings, massively contrasting, weren't they, between Glamorgan and Yorkshire. Glamorgan scoring 245, the likes of, of Marnus Labashain scoring 65, Sam Northeast also producing a valuable 49. But yeah, Yorkshire by comparison just didn't seem to get going at all, did they? Ultimately being bowled out for, for 105 in their first yeah. innings. Um, it looked like quite a good batting deck as well. Like a lot of the bowlers seemed to be getting good carry um, and there weren't really a lot shooting through low and everything. So um Obviously, having the likes of, of Sam Northeast and, and Marlis Labashe and Fergal Morgan, you know what they're going to bring you. Um, and for Yorkshire, you would have expected um, the likes of Bairstow got stranded on, on the first day, but the likes of Adam Lythe and, and Finn Bean started quite well, that somebody could have dug in and, and got a score. Um, and similarly to, to with uh, Labashain and Northeast, the fact that they have Michael Nisa, obviously a big help. And that hat-trick, a lot of people on Twitter, obviously having been on Twitter about half-twelve on, on Friday, 
I am aware I'm in the minority here. Um, I don't know why Don Best left the hat-trick ball. I know it came in an absolute load, but you've just watched George Hill get bowled, leaving one that swung back in and hit his off stump. Why would you not just... I, I would rather you get nicked off at least having got forward and put it, like, tried to hit the ball than you've just watched one come back and bowl your mate. Obviously, he's going to bowl an in-swinger. Like, and then he got a king pair as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, ran out on Don Bess over. I, it's just a poor game from him. But, yeah, um, Yorkshire started very poorly with the bat. They certainly did. They, they really did, Kieran. But you do have to tip your cap to a certain Michael Nisa. Career best figures of seven for 32. And you mentioned the hat trick. And yes, the leaves were not brilliant. They really weren't. They made for some terrible viewing if you're a Yorkshire fan. But again, as an appreciator of Michael Nisa, it was great to watch. It was great. And it's always nice to see a hat trick in first class cricket. So yes, Yorkshire could have done things to prevent it from happening. But as an appreciator of first class crickets and the theatre, of the game that we love so much. I quite enjoyed it. And I do think that Michael Nisa deserved it because he bowled very, very nicely in that first innings. But aside then from that, from that disappointing first innings effort from Yorkshire, let's talk about Glamorgan's second innings because this is where the game really began to, to change drastically, didn't it? And all of a sudden, the momentum was well and truly with the Welsh County. 352 for four declared from just 82 overs. In the second innings, and Matt, we have to talk about a certain Australian by the name of Marnus Lavashane. 179 out from 207 deliveries, 24 fours, even a six thrown in there for good measure. He had quite the game up in Leeds this week, didn't he, old Marnus? He definitely did, yeah. Um, he's It's a bit worrying, isn't it, um, with what to come this summer, especially at a ground. That you would think, and Kieran, I know you mentioned the pitch was pretty decent, but um, Headingley's certainly been traditionally one that's better for the bowlers, isn't it? So uh, the fact that he's peeling off 170 uh, not out as well uh, is, is a bit worrying. Maybe we can take a bit of, as England fans, maybe we can take a bit of comfort from the fact that he will be facing bowlers of a significantly higher calibre when he uh, when he does line up in the Ashes. But uh, yeah, it was. A, an exhibition it was it was a really good pace um that there was a shot as well uh quite early on uh when he just held the pose as well which is always you know he's it's, it's, it's very very aesthetic isn't he it's uh yeah um he sort of came from he came out of nowhere really didn't he when he first made his Australia debut and then he's just uh, excelled and kept those same really really high levels ever since so yeah he's definitely going to be a big big boost for Australia, as he has been for the past number of years. But, um, yeah, that, that, that fellow who was maybe watching at Headingley last time, the one uh, famously with his hands on his head and uh, the really the, the grimace on his face, I think uh, if he was watching, then uh, the, the frown would have been turned upside down. Well, it would have been. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. Four years, goodness me, that has gone by very quickly, hasn't it, lads? Four years since that last Ashes. The, the Headingley miracle from Ben Stokes and Jack Leach. 2023, though, let's hope we don't need a game that's that close. <laughs> let's hope that England can win the series convincingly this time around and and bring the Ashes urn to its rightful home. And talking actually of a former England player who performed very, very well in this game this week, Kieran, we have to talk about Yorkshire's second innings. 
And one man in particular, Adam Loyth, the captain, leading from the front in brilliant fashion, in fact, 174 from 220 deliveries, 24 fours, three sixes. He really did put Yorkshire in a fantastic position in this game, didn't he? And at one point you're thinking it's going to be a board draw, right? Yorkshire are going to be sailing home, easy five points in the bag. But that wasn't the case, was it? To be honest, heading into that evening session, even though Adam Lyfe had put on this masterful 174, George Hill chipped in with 60, then you had Jordan Thompson ultimately saving the match with that gritty 55 not out. What did you make of Yorkshire's batting in the in the second innings? Because aside from Lyfe and Hill and Thompson towards the latter stages, again, it seemed a little bit inconsistent, didn't it, from the White Rose this week? Yeah, it did. Um, I think they were sort of in like in between mindsets of do we go for the for the I think it was a chase of four hundred and ninety something four hundred ninety two it's a mammoth chase yeah so I think to start with obviously Adam Lythe had gone out there with the mindset that we're going to chase this hence why he hit so many runs and I think if you told him that you were chasing four hundred every week he would probably produce knocks like that every week. I think he he's one of them people that if he is batting for a specific purpose, he is a lot more um, driven and, and his mind is on that. Um, whereas like he gets starts sometimes and then, and then doesn't kick on. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I'm not sure obviously that the, the uh, promotion to number three for Bairstow didn't work out. Um, Hill was promoted from, he's been, generally like six or seven this season. Um, and I think that's probably where he's going to be for the majority of the season, uh, having been in the top order a lot last season with the emergence of Finley being the signing of Sean Massoud, who's obviously yet to come. George Hill will be in the middle. So the fact that he he got a promotion to four and, and got runs was a positive. Um, and yeah, Milan, both innings, I think, sort of got stuck on the crease and... And LBW both innings. Um, the first one, obviously, was the first of, of Nisa's hat trick. You can sort of excuse that because he was obviously bowling very well. I've not been particularly impressed with South Shaquille as yet. Um, as somebody who averages 70 odd in Test cricket, um, he looked in the first innings, he played a couple of really nice cover drives and he looked quite good. And obviously, he got a start in the second innings. And I think when him and Thompson were in, it was sort of getting to the stage of, I don't know if we're still chasing this because a few wickets had been lost. And then obviously once he got out, I think it was very much drop bat, even though Thompson got to his 50, almost to run a ball. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was just a point when there was a few wickets down, Yorkshire thought, I don't think this is particularly chaseable, even though I think they got within about 80 but there's certainly some some positives out of it runs from from Thompson from Hill from live um but then you sort of you're expecting Milan Milan probably should be getting runs you're expecting Shaquille probably should be getting runs and and it's if they had done maybe Yorkshire would have had a bit more of a go at, at chasing the total well, it certainly would have been a mammoth chase, wouldn't it? Let's face it, 492 runs to chase down in, what was it, 96 overs. But again, another gripping game of cricket. Obviously, Yorkshire did make it a little bit interesting towards the end by losing those wickets. 
to the likes of Tim van der Hoogten and James Harris, who I must say bowled very well, actually, towards the last stages of the day's play on day four. But ultimately, in the end, Jordan Thompson providing the heroics, standing tall, providing a stoic rear guard for the home side to ultimately secure those five valuable draw points. So yet another captivating game of cricket. It has been a pattern in the fifth round. Unfortunately, no result for either team in terms of a win or a loss. But yeah, just another fantastic draw to say the very least. And I must say, Glamorgan in particular looked a lot better this week. I think they are very close, actually, to producing those complete performances and challenging and being back in the promotion mix. I thought they looked a lot more clinical up in Leeds this week. And talking of a team which have also looked very, very clinical this week, let's head to New Roads and let's talk about the game between Worcestershire and Sussex, a game which actually I was at. I was at day one for this, and I've got to say, I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I'm used to being at Edgebaston and going up and down the country watching the Bears in action, but watching Worcestershire versus Sussex this week was phenomenal. It really was good crowd in there, good atmosphere, good weather as well, which is always a nice bonus. And obviously, with the cathedral in the background, New Road really is a phenomenal place to watch a game of county championship cricket. And aside from the surroundings, the actual cricket on display as well was scintillating. It was fantastic to watch. So to give some background context to this game, Sussex won the toss and opted to have a ball first in this game. And in the early exchanges, this appeared to have paid off brilliantly. In fact, at one point, Worcestershire was struggling on all sorts on a woeful score of 44 for 5 within just 12 overs of the first innings. But after this really, really sedate start, the likes of Adam Hose, he scored his first 50 in a Worcestershire shirt with his 59 from 88 balls. And then the likes of Matthew Waite and Joe Leach chipping in with 59 and 53 respectively, ultimately took the pairs up to a more than respectable first innings total of 264 allouts by the end of their 55 overs. Now, before we go on to Sussex's batting, and we talk about a particular India international with a remarkable record in county cricket, given the overarching Ashes theme, it is an Ashes year, and we mentioned that Marnus is going to be providing some problems for the English scene bowlers, potentially in this year's Ashes. Let's talk about an England bowler who could be providing a lot of problems for the Aussies in this year's clash for the Ashes Urn. And Matt, I want to know your thoughts on this man, Ollie Robinson. Ollie Robinson in that first innings was unbelievable. The, the control, the discipline, the accuracy, the movement both in the air and off the pitch was theatre. Pure, simple, blockbuster, cinematic action. Seven for 59 from his 17 overs. <laughs> Again, what do you make of Ollie Robinson and the danger that he possesses and the danger that he potentially offers to that English seam attack heading into the Ashes this summer. Yeah, he's superb, isn't he? He's that sort of character that, you know, he's full-throated, isn't he? He, he, gets, he gets that, yeah, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll put bounces in, he'll put anything in, he really kind of leaves it all out there, doesn't he? And that, to be honest, will benefit either side in an Ashes battle um, because... That's what you want. You want players absolutely giving their all. And not that you don't want that at any, at any level of cricket, but you want it, especially at test cricket level, but then you want it even more. That's what makes an Ashes so special. It literally is. They will give anything to win. And it's that 
extra 1%, isn't it? And he provides it every single time. He is that sort of character. And, you know, it's, it's said that cricket's a batsman's game, isn't it? And that it's the batters that are the real stars of the show. And thus, you know, when you talk about kind of linchpins and talismans and what have you of a team, that will usually go to a batter. But he's is absolute he absolutely has the ability to be a draw on his own as a bowler and you know he even chipped in a little bit with the bat didn't he was we talked about the size of tom cole academy sixes i mean he was uh, again new world not a massive ground but those were massive sixes um they, they, you know he was lost in a couple um high high into the uh, took towards the new world end um so yeah he he is a really really properly good cricketer and he will be a very valuable part of uh, of England's attack come the summer. And uh, I have to as well mention very quickly that he is a, a former player of uh, my local Bradford League cricket team as well. He helps us. He helped Lightcliffe win the Bradford League Priestley Cup in 2013. As did Alec Lees actually as well. There's another one for you. Well, there we go. As if it wasn't obvious enough that I'm sharing today's podcast duties with two Yorkshiremen, another Yorkshire reference in a conversation about Worcestershire and Sussex. Who would have thought, eh? Not me, Mr. Wiley, but talking of another cricketer who just produced a fantastic performance at New Road this week, Kieran, we've got to talk about him, Chateshwar Pajara. Any excuse to talk about this man, 136 from 189 deliveries, and I just wanted to give some background information to this, actually, if I may. Chateshwar Pajara right now right, is averaging 954 in a Sussex shirt in the county championship. 95. It's the third highest average in the club's history, right? That is absolutely insane. And when you look at his conversion rates, 0.50s, 800s. Every single time he's reached 50, he's turned it into three figures. So, Kieran, a few words on Chateshwa Bajara. Is he the best overseas signing in county cricket right now? Oh, you put me on the spot here. I can't... I. Off the top of my head, or oh, well, Labuschagne at 170, um, and Nisa took a hat trick. So, I mean, they've all had good weeks, but I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned his conversion rate. That's something that that I was going to mention as well. The fact that he's he's yet to be dismissed between 50 and 100 is quite silly when you consider the fact that he's literally got 800s, um, and. But to be playing alongside Steve Smith, I know it's his first game and, and he's not played uh, in in England in, in Red Bull anyway since the last Ashes. For Steve Smith to be playing second fiddle to anybody is quite impressive. But, I mean, you look at the, the quality that Pajara has and, and the, the fact that he's played international cricket for so many years and obviously is still a fixture of the Indian side, you, you know what you're going to get from him. Um, to be honest... Josh Tong as well. Got to give him some plaudits for the fact that he got both of them. Well, exactly. I think you do. 100% Kieran. And actually, mentioning that dismissal that we are alluding to, not of Pajara, but that of Steve Smith. Lads, was that out? Did you think it was a little bit high or are you happy with the umpire's decision on that one? One, one, one of its dumps that were five foot high, Matt. Morally, <laughs> it's out because he's Australian and it's his first Agreed. Game. You can tell it's an Ashes year, can't you, <laughs> by that answer. But yeah, I mean, Josh Tung, in fairness to him, actually bowled very well. I must say, Josh Tung, he's, again, he's been so unlucky with injury. And just seeing back bowling those fast speeds in county cricket is fantastic. And 
yeah, when he does retire in a number of years' time, he'll be talking to the the people down his local club and saying, oh, "I got Steve Smith out." So <laughs> there you go. That's something that he'll have for life. So well done to Josh Tung. But in fairness, Sussex actually played very, very well in that innings, aside from Pajara's masterful 136. Good to see Finn Hudson Prentice score 50 as well. Fantastic. So well batted Finn. And as a result of those knocks, Sussex ultimately providing themselves with a very solid platform of 373 all outs by the end of their first innings. Now, unfortunately, day three in Worcester was completely washed out. So as a result of this, the game was all but gone in terms of a a result for Worcestershire. All they could do really was was see off the Sussex bowlers. And in fairness, in fairness, Ollie Robinson did give his best shots of making sure that that didn't happen. Seven for 58 from 28.4 overs in the second innings, ultimately finishing with career best figures of 14 for 117. So Ollie Robinson had an absolute time of it in Worcester this week. But ultimately, as a rally, the indefatigable, the determined, the resilient, the courageous Pakistani number three, standing firm, standing tall with his 103 and out from 279 balls to guide Worcestershire to 251 for eight by the end of day four and ultimately salvage five valuable points for the West Midlands County at New Road this week. So to say that that was a good game, I think is putting it lightly. The fact that we had such quality and such calibre of bowling and batting at New Road this week in a second division game really was a testament to the strength of the county championship this week. And as I said, I think the, the crowd definitely played their part. A good crowd was in at New Road this week. And I think the players fed off of it, to be honest. So again, another cracking game of crickets in what was a thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining battle at New Road. But gents, aside then from that encounter, let's head to our seventh and final game of the fifth round, which also happened to be a draw, this time between Derbyshire and Leicestershire at the Encora County ground. Now, Derbyshire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game. And this is where one of the best stats in TCCP history comes into effect. Because Henry Brooks, on loan from my county of Warwickshire, took figures of 6 for 20 from 12 overs to ultimately dismiss Leicestershire from 122 in their first innings. Now, just to give this some extra context, and I do have to give credits to David Griffin because this is his stats from Twitter, but these are the best ever figures for a Derbyshire debutante in their history of the county championship. So that first and foremost is exceptional for Henry Brooks. But it gets even better than this. We have to go all the way back to 1871, which is where the club's best ever figures on debut are in a first-class game. And gents, I want to ask, actually, let's see if either of you are massive cricket badgers when it comes to Derbyshire. Do you know who? No, neither, Matt. To be honest, I wouldn't have got this. It was Dove Gregory on debut for the club in 1871. So they are the best figures for a Derbyshire bowler on debut. What is that? 150 years. So that is very, very impressive, to say the least, from Henry Brooks. Now, after that incredible bowling display from the low knee from Warwickshire, Derbyshire came out to bat with a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum, and a lot of gravitas. And I think this was definitely typified by Leia's deploys knock of 94 from 150 deliveries. The captain leading from the front with that particular knock, when Madsen also produced a very useful 67. 
And then he also had a 108-run stand between Harry Kane and Hyder Ali for the opening wickets. So at this point in the game, Derbyshire were 350 for seven. They made the declaration and they tried to force results on the fourth day. And this is where the headlines will come into effect. And this is where, for the first time in TCCP's history, we're actually going to have to consult the laws of the game of cricket, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest, at the end of this round. But for for 92.5 overs, Leicestershire batted out like absolute warriors in Derby today. So on the day of recording, it was day four. So Rishi Patel scored 58 from 99. Lewis Hill scored 63 from 108. Peter Hanscom dug in with 62 from 90. And Chris Wrights, the hashtag bowling all-rounder, Chris Wright season, scoring 49 out from 112 balls to take Leicestershire to 281 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, at this point, there were three overs of the day's play left, in theory. And Derbyshire had a target of 54 runs to chase down in order to achieve victory in this particular game. And this is when the controversy started. Because after five minutes, neither of the two teams emerged. And the umpires and the respective coaches were seen on the phones, in the dressing rooms. There was all sorts of chaos and bedlam and confusion taking place at the Encora County ground. Because theoretically speaking, as of law 12.2.3, which states where there is a change of innings during a Jays play, except during the lunch or tea interval, or during a suspension of play due to ground, weather, or light conditions, or exceptional circumstances, or during the last hour when playing condition 12.2.5 below shall apply, two overs will be deducted from the minimum number of overs to be bowled, plus any over in progress at the end of the completed innings. Now, obviously, gents, in normal circumstances, when we see that innings end, we just assume that two overs will be taken away. But this wasn't the case. This wasn't the case. Derbyshire went out to bat initially thinking that there were three overs. And Mickey Arthur made that tremendously clear to the umpires in this particular encounter. So what did you make of the the confusion at the end of this game? Matt, I'll start with you first, mate, because... It's a shame that this has overshadowed what was a very compelling game of cricket. It's taken away from Henry Brooks and Lewis Deploy and, and Rishi Patel and, and Peter Hanscom's Knox, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And it's it kind of a bit frustrating because obviously any, any cricket fan wants to see an exciting conclusion to a game like that. And we had the prospect of an exciting conclusion. I think it's fair to say that it was probably pretty unlikely that Derbyshire would have chased it. But they might have done. It was possible. You know, the 18 balls to just see what you can do in that in that situation. But you do have to respect the rules, don't you? You have to respect Leicestershire. You have to respect the opposition. And, you know, imagine if, if they had given them three overs. And imagine if they'd done it, and then we discovered that this was the law, in fact. And, you know, as Leicestershire, you would be feeling pretty peed off wouldn't you that if that had if that had occurred so on the one hand i've got the you know the, the on, on one shoulder you've got the laws and you've got the belief that it has to be right and it has to be done correctly and you have to respect everybody on the other you've kind of got oh 
couldn't he have negotiated something? We had this opportunity to see a potentially a real blockbuster, and it it was it feels like it's been taken away. So yeah, it, it's disappointing, but I think it's leavened a little bit by they have followed the rules, and it is a it is a fair law. It's not a it, it, it's not warped or wrong, or it doesn't need changing. It's just a bit of a pity that this is the way it had to be, and. Sometimes laws are a bit of a pain, aren't they? But this is just how it is. Well, it is a bit of a pain. And as I said, it's a bit of a shame because it was a fast glen to what was a very good game of cricket. And yes, obviously, <laughs> I, I doubt Derbyshire would have chased it down because 18 and over in first-class crickets with a shiny new Dukes ball is tremendously difficult. But I respect the fact that they were willing to give it a shot. And unfortunately... That didn't happen. And what we ended up with was a really rushed over from, from Colin Ackerman, which was essentially bold just to prevent Leicestershire from getting a points deduction for slow over rates. So it completely took away from the drama and excitement which we saw from other games taking place this week. So it is a massive shame. Whether or not we'll see any follow-up to this, I don't know. Because to be honest, they are exceptional circumstances. I can't think of an occasion where it's happened in recent years. I'm not sure if either of you two can actually, where the, the innings has ended with so few overs left in the final hour. Because in that circumstance, do the same laws apply? To be honest, I'm not an umpire. If there's any umpires out there who do know that law, please feel free to, to let us know because it was just a baffling way for the game to end. And Mickey Arthur was incensed. The commentators were absolutely furious. I think Richard Ray definitely made his his feelings apparent, to say the least, on the live stream because it took away from the spectacle. And in a round of fixtures where we've seen the very best of county cricket, where we've seen the likes of Knots and Lanks play out a thrilling draw, Essex and Surrey, Worcestershire and Sussex put on this cinematic experience almost for us as county cricket fans. I felt really bad for the fans in attendance at the Encore ground this week because it completely took away from that. And... They ended up being in the ground for 20 minutes. They waited 20 minutes for that decision to be made. And ultimately, the decision was for two overs to be taken away and one made an over to be bowled. So, yeah, it's a massive shame that that happened. It did take away from it, but there's nothing that we can do, to be honest. We'll have to wait and see if there's any further action. I think Mickey Arthur might be making some phone calls tonight to the ECB and the, the umpiring panel. We'll have to wait and see if anything does come to fruition, but... Yeah, ultimately, regardless of what happens in those final few minutes, the end result was a draw. And talking then of the wider picture of Division 2, let's have a look at the table at the end of the fifth round then. So at the top of the Division 2 table, on 63 points are Durham County Cricket Club. In second and third place are Sussex and Leicestershire, both on 52 points apiece. In fourth place are Worcestershire on 44 points. In fifth place are Glamorgan on 39 points. In sixth and seventh are Yorkshire and Derbyshire on 29 and 28 points respectively. And in eighth and bottom place of Division 2 after four games are Gloucestershire County Cricket Club on 27 points. So again, a bit like Division 1, a thrilling, thrilling, thrilling round of games. Really enjoyable and that promotion race is heating up. Because Worcestershire aren't out of it. I think the likes of Glamorgan, they have definitely turned a corner. I think they'll become a lot stronger as the summer continues. And don't discount Leicestershire. Leicestershire still very much in the mix after a very solid opening four games. So 
Division 2 has the makings of a very, very captivating competition, to say the very least. And talking of one final competition, which you do, of course, have to mention before we end the podcast, we do, of course, have to look at the cricket draft. So at the top of the TCCP leaderboard is financially benefiting from the Vitality Dog, Xavier Vote Hills team. That's a very interesting team name, Xavier. But uh, yeah, currently at the top of the table on 8,430 points. In second place are Bob's Boundary Bashers on 8,418 points. And in third are the Shower Gladiators by John Welch on 8,376 points. So if you want to get involved in that fancy cricket tournament, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the description below. Completely free to join. All of us are involved. I'm currently 62nd. Oh, 66th, actually. I'm wrong. I'm 66th. I'm even worse than I thought I was. Sam Hain for England CC, not even in the top 50 of our own league. So if you think you can beat us, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link below and joining our Cricket Draft Fantasy League. But that is essentially it from us three here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.